This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 9th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson is um, the immediate passage after last week's. If you remember last week, uh, was the follow-up to the feeding of the 5,000 and the Sermon on the Mount. And in last week's lesson, we had Jesus healing the centurion's slave. This week, we hear the story of he's, he's out in the countryside walking, and he is headed with a large crowd towards a town called what we call Nain. In the, in the Hebrew, it was Nain. Um, and it, it's about probably six miles southeast of Nazareth, although he's not coming from Nazareth. He's coming from Capernaum, which is northeast of, of Nazareth, so it's probably oh, 10 or 12 miles from where he had been in Capernaum. And as he's wandering around, he says that a large crowd followed him. Well, you can imagine after the Sermon on the Mount and all the excitement that was going on there, that he probably did have a large crowd following him, and they were pretty interested in who this guy was and what, what might he do. And so when they arrive at Nain, they are getting ready to go through the gate. And gates in cities, and this wasn't a very big city, um, weren't that big, and a large crowd is following them, so they're all coming through. And as they're going through the gate, they run into another large crowd that's coming out of the gate. So it looks very much like Columbus during rush hour. Um, and every, the, So the, both sides have to stop um, where they are. And what Jesus learns very quickly is that what they are doing is that they have encountered a funeral procession. Now, if they knew anything, they would know you're supposed to pull over to the side of the road with show respect, but apparently they didn't do that either. They must do things like they do in Columbus. It's one of the great things I, I find distressing about living in the big city is that nobody does that here. Um, in the country, they do it all the time. I mean, when I lived in Point Pleasant, every, everything stopped when a funeral procession went by. Here, it's kind of like, oh, there's another dead one. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd get out of my way. I've even had people cut in front of funeral processions, which blows my mind totally, but um, that's an aside. It has nothing to do with sermon. Never mind. Rewind. <laughs> that's my rant for the day. The, uh, so if you happen to see a funeral procession, pull over. Um, the, um, so as he's going in there, he sees and he asks what's going on, and it turns out there's a widow whose only son has died, um, which is pretty tragic. I mean, all of her immediate family is now gone. And it says, you know, she was weeping, you know, uncontrollably, which makes sense. I mean, if her only son had died, I mean, she must be very sad. And Jesus, in looking at her, the scripture translates it that he had compassion on her. Well, yeah, I mean, sort of, but that doesn't really get what, what it really literally means is he was moved to his bowels. That means it, it was gut-wrenching for him. So it tells us that he really felt what she felt. Because I'm sure that's how she felt. But she was probably just, you know, mortified at what was happening. She probably couldn't even believe this was happening. It hurt so bad that she didn't even know how she was going to keep going. And, and it says that Jesus had that same feeling in his gut. He understood what it was like for her. And he looks at her and he says, do not weep. Now, it's interesting, com comment, do not weep. Because you would think weeping would be kind of a normal 
thing to be doing at that time. But I can remember, I'm going to pick on John a minute, but it's not really picking on him. Actually, he did something good. But um, I remember when Oren died. Donna remembers that. Um, we were at dinner, and uh, we had we were about halfway to the hospital, so I didn't really have time to take my family home and then go to the hospital, so I just went to the hospital. And when I got there, Donna was very sad, as you would be, and John looks up to her and says, it'll be okay, Miss Donna. He's with Jesus now. It was a, a profound thing. I keep thinking, golly, if we could just keep people believing this stuff and understanding this, because isn't that pretty much the same thing that Jesus said? Do not weep. And so, then he does something remarkable. It says he touched the beer, and, and the pallbearer stopped. And a, a beer is like a stretcher. You may have seen some Middle Eastern funerals um, where they carry people uh, through the streets and stuff. Particularly the Muslims do it, but it's a similar tradition. And um, it's not a coffin that's closed or anything. They're on a stretcher that they're carrying through, usually like on their so shoulders. And he touches it, and he looks at the young man, and he says, young man, get up! Now, can you imagine that in this day and age? If somebody walked up to the casket at a viewing and said, get up! I mean, we, we'd be going, what is the matter with this person? I mean, that, that, that's just crazy. Well, it wasn't a lot different then, I'll tell you. Um, because people didn't get up, did they? And yet, the most remarkable thing happens. This young man gets up. And then even something more remarkable happens. Anybody notice what he does? He gets up and starts talking. We can tell he's an extrovert. <laughs> so the minute Jesus revives him, first thing he does is start talking. And, and then I always love this. People never see the humor in Scripture. What does Jesus do immediately? Very first thing he does after he, he, this kid wakes up and starts talking. Anybody remember? Yeah, he gives them to his mother here. <laughs> I don't know if that was because he felt for the widow or because he couldn't handle the incessant rambling or, or what it was, but it, it's just a great story. The kid just sits up, starts talking, and, and then is returned to his mother. Now that tells us something else about Jesus beyond the fact that he has compassion, beyond the fact that he feels the pain that we feel. It tells us that he talks to dead people. Did you ever think about that? He talks to dead people. Now that seems a little weird in some ways, like he's sort of a mystic or something. But we know that in fact when he died, what did he do between the time that he died at noon on Friday and, or 3 o'clock on Friday until he was raised from the dead um, Easter morning. He'd send to hell just to hang out, take a nap. What did he do in hell? He preached to them. He told them the gospel. He talks to dead people. He does that all the time. And so we've learned two things already from this lesson. One is that no matter what our pain is, and no matter how hopeless our situation might seem, Jesus does feel what we feel. He really does understand what we're going through. It's not just a matter of he thinks, oh, that's too bad, but he really cares. You know, he doesn't just have sympathy, he has empathy. It, it moves him deeply when we are hurting, and it matters to him. The second thing it tells us is that he doesn't leave you know, us 
to our own devices, even when we're dead, that he will continue that conversation with us. And that for those of us who have had loved ones who have died and have already gone to the other side, that's a great comfort to know that Jesus is still talking to them, that he hasn't stopped. Um, The third thing that it tells us about Jesus and about God is that he greatly values family relationships. He values all relationships. He sees the importance of them in, in our ability to be there and nurture and support one another. And so he really wants to restore those relationships. And so when we find that we're in relationships that are broken, either here on earth or because of death, it can tell us a little bit about what God has in mind for us. You know, one of the common experiences that people who die have, who have near-death experiences, is, is that they see relatives on the other side. Well, see, I don't find that odd at all, because what did Jesus do with the son? He gave him to his mother. So would it be all that surprising that he would bring the people that we love and restore the relationship with us when we pass to the other side? See, those relationships, that family is extremely important to God because it's what he has in mind for us with him because he truly is our father, our creator. And so Jesus not only feels our pain and really understands, he not only wants to restore the relationships, he not only talks to us even if death has already overcome us, but he also restores relationships between those who've gone before and those who are still here. Now, in this case, he did it there as a sign to the people of what life was going to be like. And for us, that may or may not happen. But it certainly is true that it can happen ultimately. It's like I said last week, everything turns out all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. And so we need to be prepared for that. Now, the other side of the equation is the crowd that's there. Did you notice what the crowd's reaction to this was? Yeah, but something else happened first. Hmm? What did they feel? They were afraid. Now, some translations translate this that... um, they were in awe and amazement at him. And, and sometimes there are words that could be translated fear or awe. This isn't one of them. The word that's used here is actually phobos. You know what English word we get from phobos? Phobia. Does that strike you as awe and wonder? If you have a phobia, you're not in awe and wonder. You're terrified. I mean, you, you get it away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that was their reaction was to be scared of this person. And you can begin to see that in their reactions and what they say. Who did they give glory to? God. Now, did they know Jesus was God? No. So they don't say, wow, he's really great, this Jesus. I mean, he did this wonderful thing. They're afraid of him. They say, God did this wonderful thing. So they deflect immediately to some nebulous out there sort of thing. But then other people start saying, he is a great prophet arisen among us. Now this is significant and tells us a lot about why they were so afraid. Because the prophecy of what was going to come, who would return before the Messiah came? Elijah. 
Now, Jesus has already told his disciples who Elijah was. Do you return, does anybody remember? John the Baptist, you know. But people in Nain don't know that. And so they know the story of Elijah. They know what he did to the widow at Zarephath. Very similar story, isn't it? A widow whose only son dies. In this case, um, Elijah laid down on top of him and, and you know, you know, let his body, the very life force of his body, flow into the young man. And he, too, gave the young man back to his mother. And so they know that story. And they also know that when Elijah returns, what's going to happen? The end. Now, it calls to mind for us is what is our reaction to the end? To if Jesus returns? I can't tell you how many people in my 25 years of ministry or more that, that people have talked to me about the book of Revelation, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think it's marvelous. People go, I don't like that book. So, well, why not? I won't read it. Well, how can you not like it if you don't read it? Well, I know enough about it. I don't want to read it. Why? It's scary. How many people here think the book of Revelation is scary? Only one? Oh, come on. <laughs> Be honest. It's not scary. It's wondrous. It's only scary if you are what? Evil. If you're evil, it's real scary. And it ought to be, by the way. Because evil won't survive. And so, yeah, they're scared. And all too often, it's true for Christians, or those of us who call ourselves Christians as well, we're terrified of the end when Jesus comes because we know that the gospel is a two-edged sword, that it brings grace and forgiveness, but it also brings judgment and accountability. We'd really prefer he just had a one-edged sword, wouldn't we? Forget the judgment accountability part. We don't want that part. Just the grace part. That's good. But it doesn't work that way. And so for many people including the people in Nain, they're terrified of the Lord's returning. Because, I mean, what would you do if Jesus walked in the door now? I'd say, good, I don't have to preach next service. <laughs> I mean, it, what would happen? We'd all be called up to the great judgment throne of God and, and hear about it. And for a lot of people, they're going, but I have an appointment this afternoon. <laughs> I don't have time to do that. Or, you know, would he mess up your plans? And even more so, would you be terrified of the judgment that was about to come? That's part of what terrified the people at Nain, was they were terrified of judgment. But the truth is, is that for those of us who have died to ourselves and live in Christ, there is no judgment. Yeah, we're held accountable. All our deeds are known by everybody. But guess what? It's been taken care of. We're forgiven. And so, although, yes, we have to acknowledge our deeds, we don't have to worry about, you know, paying for them. Because a God who loves us more than life itself, who feels that gut-wrenching pain that all of us feel, has already paid that price. And so the reality is, is that the end is good news for those of us who are in Christ. You know, all too often, people don't get to the end of the book of Revelation, which is really wonderful, because what happens at the end yeah, you get a new heaven and a new earth. Evil's destroyed forever. You know, you get to live in a place where all of your needs are met instantaneously. You don't have to do anything. They're just automatically met. 
even light itself. You don't need a sun or a moon. You know, light itself comes forth from Christ himself. You know, it, it's marvelous. There's, there's more food and drink than you can possibly imagine. You know, everything is wondrous. There's no crying or sorrow. I mean, is it really something to be terrified of that we don't have to worry about terrorist attacks anymore? Is it really something to be terrified we don't have to worry about gunmen going on to college campuses anymore? Is it really something to, to be afraid of that we don't have to worry about diseases catching up with us and doing harm to us? Is it really something to worry about that we don't have to watch the news and find out what the politicians are fighting about today? I mean, imagine a life like that. It would be marvelous. It would be wondrous. There would only be good news every day. There would only be joy. You know, we can't even really picture that, can we? What would it be like to live out your life every day joyous, exuberant, ecstatic, because of the glory of God that's right here in front of you that you really just can't even imagine. And so we have a choice. We can be like the people of Nain who want to sort of explain away how the Jesus raised this guy or, or give credit to God but not to Jesus as the person or who want to claim it's a prophet and maybe be afraid because that might mean the end's coming. Or we can choose to die to ourselves and live for him. Because in that, everything turns out well. What's it that Paul says about it? All things work for the good to them who love God. And do you live that way? That all things, even the bad things that happen to you, work for the good? Because you love God? You know, and it's really what I was talking about last week when I quoted from the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. You know, that I know that everything will turn out all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. You just have to wait. Because it will turn out all right. Imagine a place that, I'm going to date myself here. I told them on a date, I can't use this at 11. They'll never know what I'm talking about, probably. But there's this great cartoon that was on with Fred Flintstone. You all know who Fred Flintstone is, right? Um, but he goes to the future, to, to where the Jetsons lived. You all know who the Jetsons are? You can see I'm going to get in trouble. The younger they get, the more trouble I get into. But... Um, and when he goes there, though, he, he goes to this really fancy restaurant. He's amazed at all the things that they've done in the future. And, and he gets ready to pay, and he pulls out his clams. Because he, that's what they pay with in the Stone Age, was clam, real clams. And they go, oh, no, 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 sir, you don't have to do that. And he says, well, what about payments? Oh, you just sign here. And so he signs. And he says, that's it? They said, that's it. You're done. Wow. So he goes into a shopping center. Got all sorts of stuff. And he goes in and he says, well, I really you know, can't. Oh, just sign here. So he just keeps going everywhere and signing and signing and signing and signing. And he loves the future. It is wondrous. <laughs> I mean, just imagine you just go into places and you sign. And then one day somebody comes banging on the door. It's a bill collector. Can you all tell that, that Bank of Maricard came out in the 60s when this came? You know, Hanna-Barbera were, were prophets. They knew what was going to happen already. And, and so all of a sudden he's in trouble. Except that in this kingdom that God has for us, there aren't any bill collectors. You don't even have to sign, actually. It's just there. It's there for everyone who has inherited his kingdom. And so we don't need to be afraid of the end. 
we can look forward to it. And that's true whether it's the end when Jesus returns in the fullness to bring in the new heaven and new earth, or whether it's the end of biological life on this planet and we're getting ready to die. Because it's the same Lord who will be there for both. There aren't different ones. And so we know that we can face the future and whatever it holds with triumphant expectation. Not that it'll be easy, not that there won't be bumps, but that we will win in the end. And so we learn a lot about God from this very simple encounter. We don't know what happens to the young man. We don't have, know what happens to the widow. We don't have, know what happens to the crowd. We don't know if they ever got the logjam you know, settled or if they just left the town because they couldn't get in. They don't know if they all went in and partied. They never tell us any of that. But what we do know is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And that in this incident, this, this accidental collision, if you want to believe it's an accident, God has made things new. And we too can begin to live out our lives looking for God to make things new. Or 